0: Driving a range rover. Expanding the Welcome to the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Podcast, the podcast of Clean and Sober, K-L-E-N and S-O-B-R, and SinceRightNow.com, with your hosts in recovery, Jeff, Matt, and Chris.
1: Chris's guest tonight, Paul Henry of The Alcoholics
0: Guide to Alcoholism.com. Hello? Hey, Paul.
1: Hey, how are you doing, Chris? You alright?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty good. Can you hear me okay?
0: I can. You sound uh, great. How about how about you? Am I coming
1: through? Yeah, you're, you're great. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant.
0: Oh, good to hear from you anyway. Yeah, it's great. I really appreciate you uh, you coming on the show. I think you'll bring uh, you know an element of uh, legitimacy to us.
1: We have <laughs> Not sure about that. Well, we'll, uh, well I'm I, I trying to uh, try to look at it from a slightly different angle. I guess in some ways, you know, I'm try, actually trying to forward an idea of what I think is, uh, well, some of the things which are which I think uh, contribute to uh, the pathology of uh, of addiction. I guess, I guess that's slightly different some people, I think most people don't do a blog and and set out their theory of addiction at the same time, but, you know, that's what the blog's about, really, you
0: know. Uh, Absolutely, and that's what I think is fascinating. And, you know, now that um, we're sure that we're in contact, I mean, we could jump right in right now. I just need a brief introduction and then, you know, turn it over to you to steer as you'd like, and I'll try to keep up. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm going to jump in with just a brief introduction, like I said, and you can add or correct as you see fit, and yep. then we'll just get going. And uh, you'll have to forgive me as the layperson I am, but uh, like I said, I'll try to keep up and try to. Um,
1: well, also we to at. me to yeah. describe it as well, so it's up to me to explain it clearly as well. So,
0: sure. okay, well, I, well, that's great, and I think I, I am really excited to to have this, uh, you know, be a part of what we're doing. So, um, this podcast. Is a, a first in many ways. It's the first I've done during the day. It's the first I've done during done on a weekend. It's the first I, Chris, have done solo without uh, Jeff and or Matt. And uh, it's the first with a transatlantic guest, or really trans anywhere. We've had a Canadian, Canadian, two Canadians on, but uh, no one from across the pond, as they say. Um, and today our guest is Paul. And I'll leave it to you to to add your last name if you'd like, Um, he is a recovering alcoholic. He's currently following a PhD into, and these are his words, neuromechanisms of addictive behaviors. Um, He says his own experience in recovery coupled with his research has led him to question why addicts um, and alcoholics talk about their condition as emotional disease or an emotional cancer and why that is rarely uh, countenanced or addressed in theories of addiction, so I will turn the the mic over to Paul.
1: Okay. Uh, okay. Paul's a, um, a pseudonym, as um, for the, for the time being, anyway. Um, I haven't. Uh, I, I'm not trying to keep my anonymity in terms of uh, um, AA or anything like that. Uh, I'm fully uh, supportive of. Uh, celebrating recovery, and uh, everybody in this area where I live knows I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm, I'm very sort of uh, public about it uh, because I think people need to know that, you know, there's somebody available to them. Well, I'm going to stop you for just, just one, one moment.
0: moment. Yeah. You're, you're breaking up. up. I'm not sure, I'm sure if it's a, a, mic a mic issue or... or...
1: Okay. Okay. okay.
0: Is that you're back. Yeah, you're yeah, back. You're, you're definitely
1: back. back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, most of my research is based on being... Um, somebody who's recovered through AA. Um, uh, the big book is very interesting. It's a fantastic book and whatever, but 50% of my recovery has been listening to people in recovery, uh, especially long-term recovery. And uh, I was in treatment, and somebody described their, uh, this illness as a, can't, uh, a parasite that feeds on emotions. And that was my first year of recovery. And it was, it's always sort of stuck with me. And... Um, and people have described this illness as an emotional disease, a fear-based illness, and, and, and whatever. And these are the reasons I'm actually in recovery. Um, when I first came into recovery, um, 2005, I, uh, I was close to death. Um, um, I was in alcoholic psychosis for about six months. Um, the doctor gave me a couple of a few months to live, uh, and when I went to AA. Uh, what struck me, and the reason I stayed in AA, was uh, people talking about their uh, spirituality or emotional disease. So, uh, three, four years into recovery, I um, I, I started relating to um, some research uh, into addiction, and uh, I felt that there were certain things that weren't being said in the Big Book and uh, in meetings, which I suffered from. Um, which I, I decided then to to research. Um, because a lot of research goes into the, what I would call the um, the manifestation, the symptoms of addiction. If you look at um, DSM, uh, you know, the manual, diagnostic manual that psychiatrists use, they, they observe, they base their uh, definition of alcoholism and addiction and alcohol dependence purely on the symptoms that they that they observe. You know, but they don't do this with any other disorder, and. Uh, any other emotional dysfunction, they relegate to being a, a, a comorbidity or a co-occurring disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so my central premise is based on this, uh, this guy, uh, Pani, who's a researcher from Italy. Um, and, and there's other people, him and uh, various other people, uh, Crystal who said there's an inherent emotional, maybe uh, there's a mood, anxiety, impulse control thing going on that we could call emotional dysregulation. Um, so when I've looked at this dysregulation, it appears to be uh, in axis one and two of disorders, 75% of these disorders center around emotional um, dysregulation, which basically means uh, an impaired ability to deal with emotions and the, the consequence of emotions. And these things uh, relate very strongly to me. If I can take you back to the start of my recovery, sure, please. I was asked to actually, as as a therapy, uh, um, to sit down with my emotions, and uh, I found this absolutely terrifying sitting for twenty minutes with my emotions (laughs) because I didn't actually know what they were. I didn't know what I was feeling. Uh, my wife was with there, who's been through all of this, she's been with me, uh, we've been together uh, 20 years, on, over 20 years, and uh, she helped me, I felt like I was being possessed of mm-hmm. these, these strange feelings, you know, it was like, you know, a poltergeist type mm-hmm. of, and uh, it was so shocking to somebody, who's very good at uh, verbalising about emotion, to actually realise, uh, I actually can't even feel them, or I couldn't feel them properly at that time, you know. Uh, So this is a real shocker for me. Uh, So people are saying, I've got emotional disease, and I'm going, yeah, there's something not right here in terms of emotions.
0: Can I ask how early in in your recovery that was? That was literally about, probably about three months, four months. Um,
1: You know, neurobiological studies and research, and it will say that that we have a stress disarray anyway, which leads to... Uh, a lexophemic characteristics, which is lexophemia is not to have words for feelings and emotions. And uh, it's quite high in alcoholics. It's about one study said it was about 67% in alcoholics. It's very high. It's transmitted through a family alcoholism mechanism. This
0: this is exactly (laughs) why I, I really love having you on is now I have a name to call what I experienced because I absolutely experienced lexophemia, Particularly, um, I noticed it in my early recovery, right around um, you know that period, that sort of three to I don't know maybe nine month period for me. But go ahead.
1: No, that's uh, well. It's good to relate, isn't it? We're both uh, we uh, recovering people relating at the end of the day, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And when I when I say this stuff to people outside an AA meeting, they get this stuff much quicker than trying to explain it to a professor, you know. Uh, alcoholics just have this, you know, they have a quick mind, you know, and uh, you know they just seem to get stuff, and they're very honest generally as well. And if what you're saying is relatively true, they will, will say, and if it's not, they will say as well. So it's been very good for me uh, talking to alcoholics about this, you know. Uh, but the that I only find out it's been a joy, a voyage of discovery in terms of for the last nearly 10 years of what emotions are, for a start, uh, the fact, trying to work out why I, I don't seem to be able to read feeling states, not only emotions, but I, I get very tired because I, I, I haven't got a very good readout on how tired I'm making myself. Hence, uh, you've heard the halt, you know, angry, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Right. This is amazing because a, a lot of disorders, including eating disorder, they don't seem to have this uh, interception, which is a, an awareness of internal states, you know. Mm. Uh, so, but how does this affect addiction? Well, for me, I needed to find a path of mechanism. A path of mechanism is what, drivi- what drives a pathology, you know. Um, and for me, the best I've got to the heart of this problem is that we have an emotional processing deficit. It's called, you can call it alexithemia or you can call it just uh, a mixture of alexithemia and emotional awareness, you know. Mm-hmm. And it seems to, I found out my, my last article, of which I just you know, um, just got back from my uh, two professors I write with in another university, and they, they actually couldn't believe, and nobody's written a theory on this, because it's, uh, it's, it's, when I explain it to you very briefly, now, hopefully it will make complete sense. If you can't differentiate your emotions, yeah, if you have a a global uh, spectrum, uh, either good or bad, or somewhere, you know, very simple, you don't actually, you're not differentiating properly. You're not recruiting the front of your brain, which is involved in goal-directed behaviour. So you can't weigh up stuff, you know. You can't use emotion as a guide to decision making. And I've got two sisters who are not alcoholic. I got a sister who is alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And she avoids emotions in the way I do, you know. And my two sisters are very verbose, but they're very good at um, manipulating emotions in their brains. I can see them doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's a protective factor for children of alcoholics who don't become alcoholics, and they use emotions even better than normal people to direct goal-directed behavior. And I'm going, wow. <laughs> you know I mean? So me and my sister you know, always run away from emotions like we've been chased by a poltergeist. We, ha- we have this impulsive, which became compulsive behavior, addictive behavior. And it's because compulsion is to relieve distress. as all compulsions are. And uh, if you don't process your emotions properly and, and recruit the front of your brain, you have a tendency to feel an unpleasant feeling state, which I call distress, and it recruits a subcortical part of your brain. It activates your amygdala, which is involved in emotions, but uh, particularly fear, fret, and it can activate a more um, automatic uh, responding, a more motoric part of the brain, because emotion is there to shape your body for action. That's what an emotion does. It means literally to prepare for action in I didn't know any of this, so I'm, oh, it's great to hear you've been interested because this is all mind blowing to me. Okay. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's, it's all sort of, you know, little explosions as you're putting it all together. I'm like, okay, this is, yeah, it's, it is mind blowing, but and fascinating.
1: So hopefully, I won't, I won't blow everybody's head too much. But you know, for me, this has just been, you know, it's like as my brain has recovered because for me, somebody said to me one minute you say you recover something the next minute you say you're in recovery. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm both, I have recovered. I've been restored to sanity. That's mm-hmm. re- but I, my brain is actually recovering because I, I can feel it recovering through the years, you know. Mm-hmm. Certain uh, emotional regulation gets better. And you know, and um, I, as my wife said, you're recovering be- you know, because you have become more considerate, you know. Right. For me, that's a regulation. That's an emotional regulation. Uh, for me, uh, emotional dysregulation is when you're a bit... Um, like in a big book that talks about selfishness and whatever. Exactly. But that's like, for me, as Bill W. said, that's like not having emotional sobriety. That's like being like emotionally immature, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's is, that is part of emotional dysregulation, is being emotionally immature. Mm-hmm. Because in an alcoholic, the parts of the brain that are badly damaged, apart from the front of the brain, are, are areas to deal with emotional regulation. And it could be that, you know, a, a predetermined uh, a, you know, a risk factor for future addictive behavior is uh, emotional regulation networks, which are, you know, morphologically, in terms of size and, co- and connection and function, uh, aren't uh, wired up as, as well as people who don't become uh, uh, addicts. Sure. So, so that was basically, all this has been a revelation to me as I've gone on. But the bit I'm trying to get to is if decision-makings are central to your life, and you're you're acting impulsively because you can't differentiate your emotion, it's going to have a, and you're actually responding in a, you know, get the hell let's get the hell away from emotions. (laughs) Based on just relieving a distress. state, you're going to get into trouble, aren't you? You're going to make maladaptive decisions constantly from the get-go. And if you, like most people in recovery seem to have some sort of trauma or abuse or insecure attachment, you know, the figures on this are really high, you know, one study said that, in a treatment uh, study, uh, 84% of the people in the treatment center were actually some form of abuse, you know. And, you know, these are really high figures, it, mm-hmm. you know. And if you have grown up in a family where there's, you know, there's addiction or alcoholism mm-hmm. and there's a lexophemia in a family and you've not been shown how to regulate emotions because it's not, you know, parents are struggling with that as well, it's going to, uh, it's going to, you know, contribute to the problem. And this problem is exacerbated by the fact that if you've got emotional dysregulation regulation. Mm-hmm. You, you potentiate, you heighten reward in the brain. So, you know, you got an impulsive desire to feel better. Mm-hmm. And when you do try something like take a substance mm-hmm. like alcohol, and you do feel fantastic, it just compounds the issue. So for me, this is, this is a path and mechanism for me that I've been trying to get across. Uh, I've done six years research with five with people in, a, in a, a different university to the one I've been in recently. And, um, Done a couple of theoretical uh, articles, and uh, which are, you know, uh, trying to get published um, at the moment, you know. But it's taking so long because um, I want to get to the heart of, of what's, you know, what's sort of wrong with us. So, uh, so generally, that's that's where I'm getting to with, with the research. Is that You know, the more I look at people, the more, you know, in the rooms or on Facebook or social media, I can see it. I can see what I'm saying happening, you know, quite a lot, you know, in people's behaviors, you
0: know. Yeah, I I don't doubt it. I mean, you know, so much of what um, I think goes on Certainly, on this show, I would say is you know it's more subjective, behavioral, experiential sort of conversation because no one has <laughs> the credentials yet on the show that you have or, or the the learning and the the, the insights. Um, but it, you know, it really is fascinating when you start talking about emotional dysregulation um, and sort of the stages of recovery. Uh, you know, I'm going. I think I'm going into my 18th year, and it's just this year recently. That I've decided I want to go. I wanted to go back into therapy just because I don't know. For my whole life, you know, as a dabbler, as a dilettante into my own psychotherapy, and probably using terms I don't exactly know what they mean. I've I've thought I was anhedonic, um, which you correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of it's sort of an inability to really feel emotional sensations to some degree. Is that right, or
1: and reward? And uh, reward. Yeah, it could be a dopamine uh, deficit, uh, which you all have to a certain extent, yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, I just, I'm trying to get to the root of that in in my own head. Hmm. And, um, you know, the things you're saying certainly are, are revelations to me that um, I think sometimes we do feel like, you know, special little snowflakes. But when you talk about it um, as as something that, that is... Uh, you know subject to research and it's proving proving to, you know true then that that is exciting and you know like I said earlier even learning the term lexothemia was exciting for me because um, that is exactly a revelation I had about uh, nine months into my recovery where I, I was experiencing a sensation an emotional sensation that I had no word for I could not define it because I I just I one I didn't think I'd ever experienced before and I've said it before on the show but that I finally realized what the name i gave to it was contentment which i realized i had never experienced contentment before um, and uh, it was a fascinating thing to not have a word for how i felt mm. um, yeah. which
1: is fair. it's funny that the word is alexophobia. you know it's uh, you know exactly. that you know it's it's just perfect isn't it you know, uh, you know but they they've come across this in, in going back to the thirties you know i am still a fan of psychoanalytic sort of uh, you know um, views as well you know i don't and i don't just do neuroscience i look at everything you know mm-hmm. um, and going back to you know this undifferentiated on, on emotional state goes back to radio and, and various other researchers so um you know so it has got a bit of a a history and also Bill W Bill Wilson you know he saw a, a, a you know a psychiatrist for a long time of so 10 years or so and he, he sort of come to the understanding which is for me is emotional immaturity uh, his description was that he uh, he ended up being depressed and whatever um, which which is quite this is quite hopefully this will lead into maybe I was talking about uh, that, uh, a tweet from today or yesterday about uh, medication and stuff you know Yeah. Uh, because he, he, he found out that he, um, you know, he dominated or, or depended on people. That's all he did, you know. That was his reaction to the world, you know. And uh, when, when I read that, it, it just sort of blew my mind because I thought that's what I do as well, you know, because um, mm-hmm. I, I, I got emotional dysregulation. I'm not exactly sure how to deal with people, you know. Mm-hmm. I've improved in that sense, you know. Um, you know, letting go and, and you know, some of the things that we do in AA or whatever are actually very good emotional regulation strategies. Anyway, like acceptance is one of the best emotional regulation strategies you can get, you know, across the board, you know, and ACT and and various other models as well do this as well. But it was interesting, Bill Dobertson, his his emotional malaise, you know, this could have been his third great contribution in the the steps and his traditions. It could be this idea of emotional sobriety, you know, That's where I came in, you know. I thought, I'm going to chase this, you know. But he was actually, you know, he might be pinpointing what we got, you know. And there was a, an early study on AA by a, by a psychologist, and he said the only thing he could find we had in common was grandiosity and, and emotional immaturity, <laughs> Bill W. used to laugh about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know. He said, that's the only thing you got on common, you know. I was reading this paper as well from from, from India, which, uh, you know, there are also PC over in India, you know, as they are in the West, America and the UK, you know. And they sort of describe us in very colorful, frank terms, you know. <laughs> I love them, you know, they yeah, just, they're so needy and <laughs> dependent and, and immature, you know. But they did link it to alexifemia and they did like, uh, link that to an insecure attachment. So, you know, it could be a lot of the whole in the soul and whatever it could be an insecure attachment thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Coupled with, I mean, the the, the anecdotal description that or, or suggestion that um, every addict stops emotionally maturing when their active addiction takes hold, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which plays a huge part in it, right? That you, you yeah. just stop doing the work to mature. Mm.
1: And also, your brain is developing. So, and the last thing to develop in the brain is your cortical area, which is because uh, the thing to understand about emotional regulation is it's regulated by the front of your brain, you know? So, the so called rational part is, is what actually regulates your brain, your emotional brain, you know? Mm. So, you know, drinking from my I started seriously at the age of 14, you know, I was binge drinking two, three times a, a week by 15, you know. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, it didn't do me, didn't do me any favors. But th- th- I guess what you're, what you're saying is very interesting here for me because, you know, that's generally how people in AA have, you know, dealt or, or explained their emotional immaturity at times, you know? um, but for me, you know, I've taken it back a little bit further than your first drink type thing, you know? Because um, the first drink is really when you realize, wow, there's a some sort of solution to the, sure. to the problem, you know? Of uh, course, you don't realize that at the time. But uh, I, I remember thinking after my first few drinks, there's somewhere I can go to, you know, which didn't exist mm-hmm. before, you know? Exactly. Yeah. There's something in my head.
0: So it's interesting. So I mean, that's sort of the a layperson's uh, explanation that that does the work they need to to explain that 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 maturity gap that they're having to close once they get sober and are in recovery, and and but it's very literally what you're researching.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying, uh, yeah, I'm saying that, but I'm saying that you know, there's uh, things going on way before that. You know, sure. even in genetics, you know. Um, you know if you're inheriting a alexifemia you know it, you know it could be something that you're inheriting as a disposition to to later uh, addiction um you know i've been i have been trying to stray into the genetics i'm a bit scared of uh, scaring off my my meager f- followers mm-hmm. but uh the genetics is quite interesting i did uh, i tried to get like, i looked at types of alcoholics last week because i i've observed uh, you know two types generally um you know that more anxious type and the you know more gregarious sort Mm of uh you know um my type sort of an alcoholic type you know Mm -hmm. and uh, it's called the warrior type and the warrior type in terms Mm of genetics and it's all to do with uh, a a comp team which uh coach for uh, dopamine production in the form of the brain and i find that stuff very interesting and that may be uh, one of the things that you know, is inherited as well. An initial uh, problem with uh, actually uh, feeling part of, you know, uh, maybe we have a, uh, an intrinsic. I'll give you my story. My story was I grew up a, a Catholic in a Protestant housing estate in a in a military conflict <laughs> in Northern Ireland. So, oh, right. uh, So, so my uh, I don't belong was quite uh, quite a strong feeling, you know. But uh, it was only later that I found out. Well, this is a very common thing for for uh, for alcoholics and addicts that it, it, to feel that they didn't belong, you know, and that could be a there could be a whole range of neurotransmitters that, aren't, that haven't been coded for properly, like serotonin, or oxytocin, which again is a, back to the insecure attachment and stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you've been to any any abuse or a, a trauma or a sort of disconnection when you're younger, mm-hmm. when you have a heightened stress response, you've got high, heightened stress activity in the brain. Mm-hmm. And that that's a bit of a forest fire for the brain, you know, it can, it can really reduce a lot of chemicals in the brain. Like uh, GABA, for example, which is sure. in history, you know, so so what I'm saying is way before, you know, way before my first drink, you know, I think there was there's problems there, you know, I probably would have got some educational statement or something if I was around, you know, grew up in this area, but uh, so, you know, I always say the gateway drug isn't you know, cigarettes or, uh, or cannabis, for me, it was sugar you know, sweets. So right. it, it was like, wow, you know, I remember even you know, I've been dragged by my sister to school. I couldn't get out of this shop because I just had to have more sweets, you know. You know, that's primary school we're talking about. You know, like eight years old or something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I remember playing football, like soccer. I, people just laugh because I was the last, I was playing football under the street like by myself, you know. Everybody else had been dragged in, you know. My parents just couldn't get me in, you know. Mm-hmm. I just wanted one more, just, just one more. One more is all I need, you know. Mm-hmm and that's for me that's not to do with my later you know, consequence of my later addiction it was there already so whatever that is that was there before even drinking for me that is the kernel of my uh, my sort of uh, addiction that's for me that's a path of mechanism whatever that have to have one more is
0: yeah and that's fascinating and a little bit chilling chilling as a father um you know, <laughs> I think I have to uh, watch my my newly five year old daughter, um, recently five year old daughter with with fresh eyes, maybe. Um, but you know, that's that's all a part of the the sort of inspiration for all I'm doing here with this clean and sober project. And I've said yeah, before, and I'll it. say it again, is that I became a father, and and I, I want to figure out how to uh, help her um, avoid what I can help her avoid, and and guide her through what I can guide her through. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's with anything. Any parent wants that. but
1: Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, William White, he, he did a, an article, you know, William White, who's mm-hmm. not yeah. in recovery, uh, you know, talking about, you know, and I, I think it's very bold what he says, and I do agree that there, maybe there's some scope for prevention, you know. Uh, but, but Science would have to at least put that out there as an idea, you know. Um, so how would you help in prevention? I, for me, it would be, if a child uh, has some sort of, just make sure they, they're sort of regulating their emotions, you know, mm-hmm. Getting to talk, share. You know, the best way to regulate your emotions is, is to label and identify them by verbalizing them. You know, mm-hmm. I, what we do anyway in recovery is share, you know. That's why one of the greatest reasons for us being sober and, and certainly in 12-step groups is through sharing. Sure. You know, through just getting, you know, because... I wrote an art, a blog, which I'm quite proud of, but uh, I don't know how it's been picked up. Which is uh, um, maintaining that uh, no, was a uh, process in the past, through okay. s- especially steps four to seven. You know, because my theory is that because you, you get emotional dysregulation and processing deficit, you don't actually process it. The past, so when you come to do your inventories, you got all these millions of stuff swirling around your brain, you know, which right. you haven't actually uh, processed. What I mean by process, you haven't consigned it to uh, long-term memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that was, for me, that's why I think, you know, I advocate the steps. As, as for me, as is the way to, the primary, the best I've come across, anyway, um, therapy. But it's because you actually, for people who have dysregulation of emotions, mm-hmm. They get a chance to process them all in one go you know they right. can't actually get rid of the wreckage of the past you know uh, you know it can't actually you can't actually be born in you you know you can see that in a spiritual way I did right I still do you know mm-hmm. but you know my research since would suggest you're processing these things in your long-term memory as well you know it's so how you're putting them to bed literally you know.
0: And I think that's fascinating. And you know, I don't know how familiar you are with my story, and I don't want to bore the rest of the audience with it, as I may tend to. But um, you know, I, I spent basically sixteen years in sober and in in my recovery um, outside of any program. Yeah. And it's only been in the past year or so that I, I've understood some of these things that that maybe in the rooms I might have understood sooner or was able to put names to them. But you know, this past year I've I've you know, I went to therapy to do exactly that. And, you know, my therapist and I talked through it. And the idea is I want to unpack everything, look at it, dust it off, see if it's worth keeping or see if it's worth getting rid of. Um, because, I, you know, I thought I had, I was very self-aware and I'd done all that work and I realized I hadn't. Um, so, I mean, I think I agree with you. I just think maybe if, if I was, had been exposed to the steps sooner, maybe I would have done it that way. But um, I think it's fascinating that um, what what is your... Your program. I mean, you're you're a twelve step proponent. proponent.
1: Tw- uh, no, my my. I'm, I'm not your full on twelve um, stepper type. Um, I would f- four years been completely in love with A and everything to do with it, reading everything about the history and whatever. But I, I decided four years in that I I, um, I was having a conflict um, between what isn't what has been said alcoholism is in, a, in in the rooms you know in, in, in treatment uh, I was having different views about what I thought alcoholism was so um, so it's quite difficult to explain I, I decided that the brave the brave thing to do was to uh, at least give myself a year out to actually examine what what I thought you know um, you know the path mechanism of, of addictive behavior is and uh, I'm really glad I did that you know uh, so for a while I thought the best thing I ever did was go, going to AA and uh, for a while I thought the best thing I did was not going to AA, if you know what I mean, because it helped me develop my ideas. But I've gone back into AA and it's, I'm really happy I've gone back into AA because I, I sort of – I. I I I love it more now than I I did before, but I'm not as obsessed by it as I was before, you know. What I've learnt uh, in my own recovery is very much part of my own, um, you know, what I use as my tools, you know. Basically, what I would say to anybody who asks very simply about recovery for me, at centers uh, I, I went to uh, centers on distress. I went to this, uh, this island here in, uh, uh, in and hung out with Cistercian monks for, for a while, you know, and uh, 10 days, you know, uh, getting up at half three in the morning, singing the Psalms, meditating, praying. And uh, I didn't have any distress when I was there. And I, I completely forgot I was an alcoholic, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just, it just it just occurred to me, right, <laughs> there must be some systems in my brain which are activating my alcoholism, you know. Um, so I believe those are to do with uh, emotional regulation and stress regulation. That's why it's quite hard to live with people, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. they don't do what you want to. <laughs> exactly. Well, <I've laughs> Even if they do, they can't win, you know. <laughs>
0: Even in therapy, I mean, I've, I've said I, I, I like myself just the way I am. It's when you introduce other people that there are problems, right? <laughs> right. So.
1: It is funny, like, because I was listening to, uh, you know, one of your other people you've been, uh, as a Joe C on Rebellion Dobbs. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: It's quite, it's in, I like listening to people who are further down the line in terms of recovery, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, it, it, uh, what I find in recovery is that you, you don't really know how bad you are. <laughs> like, <it's> sort of. <laughs> You know, part of recovery is sort of finding out how, you know, how ill you are in some ways. And some people don't want to realise this, you know, we're okay, you know. And most researchers think, oh, it's just the problem with the the symptom, which is alcohol or Mm -hmm. something, you know. For me, it's just an an ongoing uh, sort of journey of realising I'm getting better. But every time I get better, I realise how ill I've been, you know. And uh, this is a very profound sort of condition I I find, you know. Mm And um, listening to people who are a bit further down the line or whatever, it always, always gives me a sense of perspective, you know. And uh, uh, I, I love listening to old, you know, we call them old timers or whatever. But, right. you know, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it depends what they got. I, I know old timers are batty, you know, they've just got increasingly old, you know. But, uh, it's, you know, when you hear somebody trying to articulate stuff, you know, I really enjoy that sort of rebellion dogs. was very good and dangerous. Right.
0: Yeah. Joe's fascinating. We're going to have him back on soon too. I think it might be r- the next episode after yours. So,
1: right. um, so I'll yeah. give him a good plug anyway. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's such a profound illness for me. You know, I've got a co- a co occurring thing, which is mm-hmm. uh, post-trauma, you know? So, uh, you know, I grew up in a, in, a, in the trouble. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in there. Like, but, uh, which seems to uh, plus the insecure attachment which seems to uh, you know make one's alcoholism quite severe you know and,
0: uh, and insecure think, attachment refers to a per- child parent relationship
1: yeah uh, prim- primary caregiver sort of relationship okay with, right yeah um, okay. Uh, just to be you know uh, uh, could be a uh, you know, father or mother or even you know if you brought sure. up by someone else you know in the family right. um so my my, mom, my mother had a problem with uh, with ballium and whatever so uh, um, so there was a bit of an insecure attachment there plus I, uh, I grew up in you know quite an odd environment really. <laughs> uh-huh. So I grew up in a country which I think struggles with emotional dysregulation because of because of the troubles, really. Yeah, uh, you, you, even if you you didn't have a problem with emotions, you, you weren't allowed to express them. You know what I mean? Because somebody was worse off than yourself. Like you know what I mean? So, so, so that was a refrain of where I grew up. You know. So, uh, you know, so insecure attachment seems to affect this um, fight or flight response, I call it, you know, um, you know, um, if you feel something, it's a threat, you know, uh, it's not something that goes to the front of your brain and sort of guides, you know, a reasonable decision. Yeah. You know? So uh, trauma does the same thing. Um, in fact, I use a term in my first article called emotional arousal habit bias which happens in a post-trauma, but which I think happens in addiction as well, you know. Because mm-hmm. at the end of addiction, we, we, we don't, uh, we're not using because, you know, the pleasure, we're using it just to relieve distress. stress, yeah. you know. Exactly. Uh, so for me, that's a process. It goes from the kid, you know, with emotional problems before drinking yeah. to an abusing stage where, you know, the stress levels uh, are actually heightening in the brain to, uh, Try and create a homeostasis in the brain because of the drugs, yeah. but uh, that over overreacts. So you're left with this constant. It, well, I think it's it's always a problem: the stress reactivity with us. But uh, it just gets worse. So you drink increasingly because you feel feel bad, really. And, exactly. uh, yeah, and at the end, you just drink because this is a crazy thing about you know denial and stuff like this. You know, which I, I sometimes was in denial, but sometimes I think I just had this uh, schema. You know. Uh, in the brain, it's called rationalizing schema. Because mm-hmm. when you're drinking compulsively, it's only part of the brain—the dorsal striatum's area concerned in this. It's only part of the brain. It's, it's also a memory network. It's only part of the brain where you got to justify and rationalize its, its activity because it happens pretty much automatically, you know, with like very, with like you know, much self-will involved. Very much part of the end of your your use, aren't they? You know, when you're when you're using, you know, it's you're using because of distress you know mm-hmm. um so i think sometimes with denial it's it's over egged a bit because i think people uh when you say to them you've got a problem they're just so distressed that this schema gets active in, and there's no way they're going to agree with you you know because what you're saying is just too distressing you know so you know that's what i found for at the end of mine you know i knew i had a problem but you know that you know giving up this thing that didn't, no longer work was still very, very scary, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I just didn't know what else, you know, the distress was doing the thinking for me. That's what I'm trying to say,
0: really. You know, when you talk about the co, what you call comorbidity or?
1: Yeah, comorbidity or co-occurring disorders.
0: Co-occurring disorders, right. Um, are you, sorry, I'm, I'm distracted. Are you getting double audio on me? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay, good. Um, You know, for me, it's depression, anxiety, and the other aspect. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on uh, the podcast, but I I have a a very benign uh, case of uh, multiple sclerosis. Right. And in my head, and this is probably me looking for um, some connection, but was it two as a coincidence, three as a a pattern? Um, Since then, I've heard of two other. alcoholics with uh, MS and I'm just wondering when you start talking about things like chemicals being affected in the brain like GABA specifically I know that plays a part in um, you know MS is progression and uh, I don't I don't know I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that I think I just asking anybody that might have any any knowledge if there's any potential for there to be a connection
1: uh... I, I wouldn't go, it's uh, too much of a, going on a limb for me because GABA is like, you know, we're talking about 45% of, you know, chemicals in the brain, you know, it's GABA, is a GABA and uh, glutamate, so GABA is in everything, it's probably like every every body, you know, so it's it's not like a, uh, it's not f- as specific as, like, dopamine, which is to do, like, reward, and motivation, and, and motor uh, motor action and stuff like that. Serotonin would be, you know, it's quite specific as well as to do with, like, well-being. Oxytocin is quite specific. And then you get more general. you get, you know, natural opioids are to do with, like, pleasure, pain, and stuff like that. But there's a few of those, you know. So uh, GABA is just like, whoa, you know, it's uh, it's everywhere, really, you know. It's in, it's in all functions of the body, really, yeah. So it's a big one, GABA, um, you know, GABA in relation to us, I think is, um, you know, GABA could be at the heart of addiction, you know, in terms of, uh, because GABA is it before it becomes an inhibitory chemical. It's an excitatory one. So it's involved in neural growth of the brain, you know, to begin with. So, um, who knows when the problems start? You know, even maybe it's, we we don't know. There's like GABA two's uh, uh, GABA gene, which is very very uh, comes up a lot in uh, studies of addiction, and so it could be. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I wouldn't want to go in the limb on that one, but uh, <laughs> so, I won't ask you know, no one <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in terms of uh, yeah comorbidities, it's, it's become a uh, quite a uh, quite a common sort of topic, hasn't it? Um, I, I I was inspired again by Joe's uh, talk on uh, he's talking about uh, concepts and whatever of AA and uh, general service and, and so on. He's talking about AA meetings that um, you know or a uh, or agnostic, you know, and uh, I, I found that very interesting because. When people commentate in AA and they say to people, "Don't take meds for this comorbidity or or, or whatever," you don't have it. The twelve steps will get rid of it all. Mm. I always he explained it very well because the concepts of AA and the steps and the traditions they all do something very simple and profound. They stop us control freaks trying to control other people. You know. And they actually stop AA trying to control us as well and vice versa. You know, do you know what I mean? It's everything is genius in in that structure, you know. The traditions are genius. The steps are genius. And even the concept in the general service, Manual. you know, they're they're actually genius. And I'm around about the way I'm trying to say my attitude to people who are on medication is it's their business, not mine. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, as say, the researcher part of my brain, uh, I would say that things like... I have seen people in AA who take medication and they they look off their heads, you know, I have to be honest. Um, But that's their choice, Um, you know. um, I guess, you know, people have got the right to, you know, right to be wrong even, you know. Um, But I, I would say... Mark Schuchat, who's a, a famous researcher, he, he, he's looked at uh, what he calls um, substance, uh, what they call the, the their comorbidities provoked by substance uh, abuse, uh, which uh, dissipate within a few weeks or months of uh, being in recovery. And I, that's, that's generally been my experience. Uh, like I've treated for depression, anxiety, and a whole host of other things. I saw a psychiatrist for three years, non-stop. Um, but the, from my experiences, these disappeared from after doing the 12 steps, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Douglas found that to a large extent when he came to his realization as well, I believe. Um, so I think a lot of, uh, I, I basically think uh, addiction itself is a psychiatric disorder, you know, uh, I think there's, there's essentially two types of alcoholic like those who know they're a bit, you know, a bit, a bit off the wall and so, a ones who don't, that haven't got that far yet. And, uh, but people, some people do need medication. It's as simple as that. Mark Zucker says it's about the same as a normal distribution in a, in a normal population, which is about 15%, you know, will need um, antidepressants or whatever. But uh, there's also things like epilepsy and, you know, some people got severe uh, back pain and stuff like that, you know. So, you know, I think, I, I, you know, it was Providence. I, I listened to the Rebellion Dogs last night. And it did remind me of the genius of... Uh, AA, you know, mm-hmm. which people perhaps don't know from looking outside is that to actually get a group of alcoholics to work together is like herding cats, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's seemingly impossible, you know. Uh, but somehow it, it works through this absolutely fantastic structure of AA and, uh, and I've gone in there and you know, early recovery, I was, you know, telling everybody, this is how you do it. And now oh, I don't do that. And, da, 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 you know, but gradually, I, I you know, I fallen back in love with the old philosophers who were saying you should always challenge your own thoughts and not really anybody else's. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and, and I find that quite spiritual in itself. You know, I think the whole structure of AA quite spiritual because it's it's continually challenging your, uh, what do you call it in the U.S.? They call us general managers of the universe, mm-hmm. you yeah? know. And we have this fear-based sort of tendency to want to control people, you know, and things, uh, you know, for me it's emotional dysregulation. Again, you know, it's a fear-based thing, you know. So that would be my argument is that you don't really know what's going on with somebody. You don't really know if they do. You know, it's not really your, your, you know, unless they've asked you for, for help, you know, what, people do is really not your business
0: you know and that's that's regards in regards to anything like what are, what they're programmed to and through sobriety and recovery um you know however however they come to it and, and keep at it um but as far as meds go you know it is tricky because i think there is and i just found out i think yesterday that a mistaken impression that aa is anti-meds and um the, the trouble with saying meds too is not all meds are created equal i mean An antidepressant isn't, you know, um, pain medication, um, although I suppose in some ways it is.
1: yeah well they are normally opioids so I think that that would be the fear you know right. these things are fear based uh, mm-hmm. you know this is why they're circling, you know um, you know there's always two choices you know uh, faith or, or fear you know it's a it's, uh, reason and fear if you're agnostic or atheist mm-hmm. and for me you know that it, that's what aa for me real aa always boils down to Whose inventory are you taking instead of your own? Like you know, because if you were making, if you're taking your own inventory, you probably wouldn't have much time for anybody else's, you know. Um, but I have been, I have been that person who's uh, queried, you know, because I've seen so many people who look off their heads when they're um, on, uh, you know, antidepressants. Mm-hmm. All I would say as a counter argument is that, you know, that, you know, a lot of very, uh, you know, Mark Sugar is an excellent researcher, you know a lot of conditions are treated by the steps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the condition that it is treated by the steps is your alcoholism, mm-hmm. you know, which is a fully-fledged psychiatric disorder, you know. Call it affective disorder, call it whatever you want. But it is a disorder as well, you know, as well as a disease state, you know. And, uh, and AA is a remarkable 12 steps because it can actually treat an emotional disorder in, in a you know, in a spiritual way, if you like. But for me, uh, i try to explain that you can see it in a psychological way.
0: Right. And that's interesting because, you know, I hadn't really thought through that. It's When, it, when I did first get um, sober and was in reco- my recovery, such as it is and, and was, um, yeah, the, the depression and the anxiety did abate a great deal, was almost absent for a number of years. And it was probably 10 years in when I did experience this, pretty, uh, deep depression, deep, deep episode. And I was really reluctant. And I've, I've said this before, um, to, to take an SSRI, um, just, you know, I'd spent so much effort and so much of my identity really was based on the fact that I had removed all these external drugs from my body. And I'm the type of person that hardly ever takes aspirin. And, um, you know, I had, a a a GP and my neurologist and a, Psychologist, you know, uh, prescribing and suggesting I take um, the SSRI, and um, you know, finally my neurologist said what I call the most undoctor-like thing I've ever had a doctor tell me. He said, "What will it matter in ten thousand years anyway?" <laughs> and, um, so I said, "You know what? I'll I'll, I'll try it." And um, you know, I, I do credit it um, as as a lifesaver at this point. And you know, one of my big fears was, you know, when you say oh, people look off their heads, I really thought, based on my experience with illicit drugs or, or you know, abuse of drugs, um, that it would change who I was. And the the reality is, it it just um, allowed me to continue being who I knew I could be. So um, that's not to say I, I plan on being on it forever, but um, it certainly has has served me well for the past few years. So.
1: Well, it's, you know, it's a choice, you, make. you know, ultimately it's your quality of life, isn't it? You know, for me, that's recovery, you know, you know, we're so absolute. We have to look out for absolute, alcoholic absolutism, you know, it's it's rife. It's rife in me, so I expect it's rife in a lot of alcoholics. You you know, it's balanced uh, from what you're saying, you know, you could be the 15 percent whatever who needs, uh, you, know, you know, a, a change in, in the balance of the brain, you know. But I, could I also, the proviso is, you know, um, I, I have known people who have been, have been depressed and we call it a, an emotional sort of rock bottom in you know, in AA, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that's quite a common thing, and and sometimes it leads people to seek help elsewhere, you know, something like 60% of people who go to AA have seen somebody else, uh, you know, other professionals, you know, outside of uh, just strictly 12-step treatment, uh, so... We have to keep an open mind about it. You know, everything about recovery challenges you, challenges you to challenge your own thoughts, you know, because it's your own thoughts that keep you in uh, some sort of distress, you know. What somebody else does is, you know, just, you know, it's um, like sort of letting go of trying to control everything around you. Because you. Like, I used to be scared of this stuff because I think a lot of people are frightened that there's so much uh, research into, like, um, anti-craving medication and stuff. And uh, there was one recently, the GABA, what's called baclofen, right. and stuff like that. Saying so mm-hmm. it can cure alcoholism, and you know, you know, I've left a few messages, and you know, on, on certain things as well, because uh, for me, it's it's a fear-based thing that you know, suddenly it, A is going to be infiltrated by all these. Everybody's going to be on these drugs, and you know, it's just, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a fear-based thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I always say if alcohol was my problem, I would have just given up, right. you know, I would have just given up alcohol. Right. I give up cigarettes. I give up, uh, cannabis. I, I am hugely, uh, willful, you know. um, but, you know, there's another problem, you know, there's the one blog in, uh, in particular, which describes my theory of addiction more than anything. So the one time almost relapsed in the last nine odd years, you know, mm-hmm. Because I was so distressed at Christmas, mm. both my parents are dead. Mm. I was so distressed about you know them being dead and not around that I uh, I almost relapsed. And well, I didn't know I didn't go to get a drink or anything, but the voice in my head was shouting. I was so distressed; it was shouting. If you don't have a drink, what? you're going to die, what? you know. <laughs> and it was just it yeah. was so scary. Yeah. And uh, that led to all my theories of addiction really because. It proved to me what I was thinking is that addiction takes over your your motivation. It takes over the dopamine no- motivation. I call it a survival network. It's called a reward network. But survival is about family, job, food, you know, sex, mm-hmm. re- reproduction, you know. And that's been taken over so dramatically in an addict. The, the, al- al- the addict brain, an alcoholic brain, thinks you need to drink to survive, you know. And, uh, that's, you know, it was pretty, for me, that was just mind blowing. Yeah. <clears throat> it just proved my fear, you know what I mean? But it was so scary. I was glad I, I went through it, but, you know, so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a brain that's so of kilter, you know, in terms of so many things, you know? So maybe, I don't know, it's, 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 it's an issue that, you know, is, is around at the minute, you know? It's becoming aware of, I, I would like people just to be, who do research, just to be more aware of, What's right. going on here? You know, right. I mean, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of things have gone wrong in the brain. You know, I, I still believe we have an allostatic brain, which means it's it's always looking for homeostasis. You know, and, and unfortunately for an alcoholic, homeostasis was right. was gained by drinking. You know, right. a temporary stasis. So we have to. You know, I can. You know, when people want something, when I start wanting something, it becomes a need quite yeah. quickly. You know all things that, you know, which, you know, when you're saying this drug does this for craving, okay, that's a symptom of my illness. Yeah. 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 And when I accept my illness of alcoholism, the craving disappears, you know. Um, so all this research is going into this. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is it going into this? Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, this extra medication, you know, which can be a straitjacket instead of recovering your... But there's an argument, isn't there, that maybe some mm-hmm. people need this to begin with, you know, to help them, you know. I think you should just keep an open mind about it, you know. I really do, you yeah. know. Yeah,
0: the more the more I learn about, you know, the, just the the how broad a spectrum, um, you know, the sufferers as people are, uh, you know, I, I'm learning to keep a, a more open mind about um, how they they get. To and through, you know, sobriety and recovery. You know, I, I, would say at the beginning of this year, the beginning of this project, it was very much like I got sober. Why can't you get sober? With regard to a family member and a friend, um, and uh, you know, I've certainly learned that it's just you know, not the way it works.
1: It's very difficult, I think, as well, does not it? To uh, for a lot of people, you know, I, I, you know, I, I was a you know, dab door, so it was you know. Basically, get it or, or die, you know. So, uh, you know, you could say, well, you spent a long, a long time not even considering it, never mind getting it, you know. Mm-hmm. I knew there was, you know, I was drinking to the point of drinking every second of every day, you know. So I was, a, I knew I was addicted to alcohol, but I had to be explained through a variety of months, you know, uh, what alcoholism is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I was very lucky I met people who describe the malady according to you know. Um, what I'm trying to do for the blog is just to um, answer some questions that I had as a new, as a newcomer myself. You know, uh, well, how come I keep having dreams about alcohol? You know, is that bad? How come you know I, I salivate? You know, when I see somebody drinking, is that bad? Does that mean I, I don't really want to be in recovery? You know, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or how Absolutely. come when I, I wrestle with these 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 terrified thoughts about drinking they get worse and worse and worse you know for me that's what i'm hoping to you know, to help newcomers especially and their families you know the brain of an alcoholic if you have if you're dream, dreaming about drinking that's because you're motivated to stay sober you know <laughs> you know studies have shown that so you know it's just a, it's just about sort of you know just trying to be rational about recovery you know um, you know, we've got stuff there we've measured and looked at and theorized and, and then sort of proven, demonstrated to be very possibly the case, you know, why not use this stuff, you know, well, you know don't be, there's an anti-intellectual thing sometimes, I think, uh, with 12-step groups, you know, and uh, but that's okay because they've actually found something that works, you know. And right. they're happy with how it works. So they're perfectly happy with how it works. And sometimes I think these people have much better recoveries than me, you know, <laughs> because they're, they're, them. they're happy with them. They just do it.
0: And I think that might apply to, to to anything in life as far as I'm concerned. It's like I tend to over-intellectualize things, but, you know, I'm, a, I'm an anxious person that um, overthinks <laughs> probably just about everything. So uh, That's
1: probably because you're an addict. Right, you know, well, we overthink everything, yeah. you know, it's, it's a common thing. You know, have you ever, like, have you ever sort of attended like any groups or anything? Like, uh, have you been part of a, some sort of fellowship or anything?
0: No, I, it's only been this year that sort of as a, um, you know, just, uh, intellectual curiosity that, um, I finally went to, uh, an AA meeting and I went to a couple and then I think you, you listened to the episode where Jeff, Matt and I went to a smart meeting, but, yeah thing. very um you know this has now you know the sitting here once a week with Jeff and Matt has become my fellowship, and you know the uh the web you know people on twitter um have uh provided me i think with certainly what I need at this point i I really enjoy interacting with all the people I've met on twitter and uh you know and through their blogs and and facebook but uh you know i still think you know the real um, meet space fellowship you know is that an element that i'm missing and I, I struggle with that just because you know i'm a socially anxious introvert so um finding a comfortable place um that that gives me also what i need intellectually i think is probably more of a challenge for me as a person i
1: think that I find AA meetings are full of social anxious, <laughs> either introverts yeah, or extroverts. Uh, right. You know, it's, uh, it's the only place I've ever felt, you know, completely at home, you know, uh, it is, in a, is in a meeting of alcoholics, you know, whether you call it AA. AA is principally, I have to say, you know. But, uh, you know, one one thing I would advocate, uh, you know, uh, based on my own experiences is, is the steps, you know, um, that for me they're like a the magic, you know. I, I was a Buddhist for many years, and uh, I was working through my uh, my uh, impurities from the past and whatever, you know? and and uh, I was quite amazed how how the past is well, it was consigned to whatever long term memory um, or, or God took it away, depending on your beliefs. Uh, and for me, that, that that has been one of the most precious thing about recovery is actually. Um, that because I had millions of resentments in my head, you know, mm-hmm. when I first came in, and and these things are they, they can unconsciously affect you, you know, and sure. uh, and now when I, when I walk my dogs in the park or, or wherever, I've got nothing in my head, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what's been in my head is what I put in there, you know. It's right. not uh, unresolved stuff from the past, you know. And and also, I was lucky when I did the steps that my sponsor at the time said, write down. You know, you know, he called them sins, defects of character. For me, they were uh, webs of uh, negative emotions, which all, all seemed to haunt in packs. You know, mm-hmm. and I've researched these these different emotions and uh, negative emotions, and uh, again seemed to be a, a product of an emotion dysregulation. You know, um, it's called one theory calls it self elaboration. You know, when Somebody, your boss says to you, you know, Chris, I want to talk to you later, you know, and you just convince yourself that you've got to get psyched or <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've done something wrong or, you know, and you your negative bias about yourself and your shame and guilt and, you know, and, you know, you just get yourself into tears and you're like, oh my God, I'm such a failure. And then you go and see him and he gives you a raise, you know, I mean, it's like, for me, that's just explains my head, you know, uh, I, for it recovery.
0: It's not as bad as it was, you know, it's improving, you know. That example you just gave happened almost exactly the way you described it to me. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I recognize it. But hey, uh, Paul, let me say this. One thing, it's to have the steps recommended by uh, a neuroscientist.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm often as grand as I You know, my PhD is into, you know, it's that, it's that neuropsychology. Neuropsychology. Um, but I'm, I'm not a, you know, I don't have a DR or, okay. you know, any sure. of those sort of, you
0: know. But someone studying those mechanisms. Um, says a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I've thought about that. Jeff took me briefly through them for the show. I don't know if you've heard any of those early episodes, but we did one an episode at the end where he just sort of explained them to me because I was really unfamiliar and never been taken through them. Um but uh you know that that may be something in this second year of this project that i do in earnest uh you know off off mic and uh the other thing is is this has been such a fascinating information packed episode I, I think i want to <laughs> before i forget ask you if you'll you'll come back um because you just a lot of information i think there may be some that has to be processed by myself and the audience and you know, yeah
1: I I have a tendency to pike too much in you no, know, yeah. I don't think
0: it's too much I I, I absolutely love it I I want to want to um you know I I have so many notes I've been scrolling um not, that uh you know I want to uh, you know dive in um but uh I also
1: i th- I'd be, be, be delighted to come back
0: Yeah I, I think there's a lot more I you know,
1: I'd like to, I'd like to thank you you know for for asking me as well Chris because uh you know, you've only been. You know, you said you come back in like for this year, but you know, you're making a, a good contribution. I want to want to tell you that as well. Like you know, um, you know, it's it's good to get somebody to give you a chance to uh, get your your view. You know, your your views on things out there. You know, sometimes it's quite difficult to do. You know, yeah,
0: um, and and I mean, I appreciate what you're doing. I think I found you fairly early on in my sort of dive into the recovery web, and um, you know, I've just always been fascinating by. The, your your take on it just because you're you are you know you, you're studying it at a, at a, in a different way than um, you know many of us and uh,
1: I'm studying in a different way to most most people doing uh, research as well um, mm-hmm. and I don't want to give a false impression that uh, you know a, a lot of researchers are looking into this and some are you know but uh, the, the ones I rate are you know um, but uh, it's a uh, It's a topic, it's it's become a hot topic in the last year, so I've stopped being original over the last couple of years, which is great, you know, I mean, good for my ego that I'm not, you know, other people are doing this area as well, because uh, I think people are realizing that it's a a really big, you know, seems to cover a lot of bases doesn't the little emotional problems, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, um, so, you know, I remember you coming, you, you liked, uh, the first time I came across you, you liked the article on uh, irrationality of science, I think it was. Yes, like absolutely, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's just very simple stuff. It's just like, you know, you're quoting all these people, all these case studies are bogus, you know. Um, and that's my, my real problem with some of the social media is uh, some of the things that get drifted around, if you look at the actual studies, they don't actually add up, exactly. you know. So uh, I think uh, a lot of career uh, researchers are, you know, uh, I don't know why they do, it's not for me to say, it's not my business, but uh, you have to, sorry, you have to look at, you have to look at sort of, you know, you know, you just have to try and be uh, honest and uh, say say what you think, you know, but be sort of relatively kind about it, you know, you know, this person, you know, sometimes you get people who write stuff and uh, it helps their careers, you know, let's just be frank about that, you know, and... uh, you know, when they do that, I think, well, fair enough. Like, why not? Like, you know, it's not my business. But when it's actually harming somebody, you have to uh, give a, an alternative view, I think. You know? Exactly. you know, I'm a fan of Hegel. He's a philosopher. He says, you know, you got to have a, you know, a thesis antithesis, and a synthesis. And I, I came into this to sort of, you know, show these academics and a finger or two, you know. And, and to be <laughs> honest, I've, I've ended up agreeing with most of them in some way, you know. It's just quite shocking how, uh, you know, how you, even if you disagree with people, if you look at certain parts of their work, you actually agree with certain parts of their work. So that's what I've learned. That's what recovery, so, uh, you know, recovery, uh, which I uh, research has helped a lot, you know, uh, has taught me to think, was well, there's a lot, everybody's got something to say generally if they're if they're putting their heart into something. And, uh, you know, if you look at my blog, as I do take stuff from, other from other disciplines and other treatments if they're good you know if they're not I I generally I, I don't I don't I know there's certain things I haven't really discussed but um, because I, I disagree with people but if they were saying you know uh, you know you know the government <laughs> the US government spending a billion on this fair uh, and I felt it wasn't very uh, you know very uh, useful I, I, I would write an article on that but it's it's mainly to give a you know an argument, you know, uh, not the other side of the story, you know, but, uh, you know, a lot of people do recover in different ways. Some people, my father recovered through the Catholic Church, you know, he never went to an AA meeting. So, and he was a much more spiritual person than me, you know, who's so, uh, he, going to AA. So, um, you know, it's, it's, we don't, you know, go back to Socrates and whatever, you know, you don't really know as much as you think, really. Exactly. Sure. Right. <laughs> Which is very difficult, you know. I, I, I found a problem with that for years, you know, and I wanted to be right, you know, I wanted to do mm-hmm. this is the way, you know. But uh, somebody said to me in, in treatment, Do you want to be? right or happy. I said, oh, what a stupid question. I want to be right, of course. <laughs>
0: That's <fun>. Well, <laughs> And I, I absolutely struggle with that. I always had to, to know the most and be the smartest and uh, have all the answers. And uh, now I, I wholeheartedly embrace uh, you know, Socrates' Uh, perspective that I uh, know nothing except for the fact of my ignorance, right? Um,
1: yeah, brilliant. I, I came across that on yours, actually, the Socrates uh, sort of t- uh, tweet. It was fantastic, you know. He used to be my idol, and and uh, I, I did a bit of philosophy for the first time when at university, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm an Irish alcoholic who uh, who likes uh, Greek philosophy, so quite argumentative, but you know, being, smart, <laughs> being the smart guy, smartest guy in the room, that's a joke in AA, you know, right. yeah, you know so many people in the room think that they're the smartest guy in the room, you know, it's, a, you know, again, again it's an emotional immaturity, isn't it? It's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the best at this or whatever, you know, it's quite interesting if you look at all your behaviors and try and see if you've been emotionally immature, it's quite shocking how often it is, you know.
0: That's funny. I may actually t- title this episode, The Smartest Guy in the Room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, you know what, we've, we, we've got to, uh, figure out when to have you back. I know Jeff and Matt, you know, like I said, you know, life, uh, interferes, um, and they, they had kid things they, they had to do, uh, this weekend. They, I know they'll, they'll want to, uh, get a t- chance to talk to you as well. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll reach out and we'll, we'll schedule, um, a return
1: no problem. I'd be delighted to come back. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking for your site. It's great, you know, and uh, some good stuff on there, you know. Yeah,
0: well, so. it. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I apologize if I, I seemed over my in over my head, but uh, I was just sort of uh, mesmerized. Um, but.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I, uh, it's, I'm so enthusiastic about it. it. It's a bit, you know, my uh, my, my wife says she's a doctor of history and uh, she says she needs to lie down after a conversation with me sometimes. So uh, it's it's just enthusiasm, you know. I remember yeah,
0: saying
1: to yeah, no, my, my counselor, you know, and says, do you think I'm too enthusiastic? <laughs> no, not
0: remotely. I just, I, I definitely want to process it. Hey, speaking of which, do you, do you sponsor… Um, I have sponsored. I, I'm
1: not sponsoring at the moment. I, I don't sponsor when I'm not, you know, fully engaged in AA. But uh, I, uh, where I lived, is a very predominant sort of treatment center thing. So um, my approach, to the steps, is very quick. You know, I, I you know, if I sponsor someone. They go through the steps in uh, a week. Oh. Um, so yeah, it's quite uh, contrary, you know. Uh, you know, I, I'm a Christian, so my, you know, uh, my views is. That your solution can be uh can be sought very very quickly indeed you know uh, within minutes in fact but uh, <laughs> uh you know and then go through the steps from there basically uh so it's yeah i have sponsored before yeah i've sponsored mm-hmm. people before and I really enjoyed it. It's, you know i have to say it's one of the highlights of recovery is like actually sponsoring somebody mm-hmm. you know um and i hope to again you know but one of the i, I guess the prices if you like of uh stepping out I, I, for one period of time I went AA about 50 times in three years so uh which is very little really mm-hmm. um I was only when I was in you know in different cities and stuff so I uh yeah I, I wouldn't be your you know a, a fully paid up member at times in my recovery as well but I, d- I don't regret that you know mm-hmm. um But it has. It has been been a price, and the price has not been sponsoring as much as I'd like to, you know. Um, One possibility, uh, because I'm on a break, you know, from my PhD at the minute, um, is that if I finish it or do it elsewhere, is after that, I'll I'll turn my ideas into helping people in a treatment center, you know, that's Mm -hmm. something I would like to do, you know. And just simple stuff, you know, what what I've described to you, what I've described in terms of prevention, in terms of children as well, Mm -hmm. you know. Just, you know... uh, if it's just fascinating, I'll, leave, I'll sort of leave you this idea, it's fascinating in terms of, you know, emotional problems, if if we could actually make a difference by, um, you know, verbalizing and, and, and training, you know, people with emotional skills at a very early age, you know, would that have an effect, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, that's, that's a $100 question, you know? Uh, can we actually affect that in some way, you know?
0: Well, that, I mean, then that's that's an absolutely fascinating topic. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I'd have to table that. Otherwise, I'll dive into that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I was just reading something about you know how how come you know in American schools why isn't there uh, you know any sort of education anything in the curriculum about your emotional intelligence?
1: Yeah. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? It is so amazing because we've only realized in the last 20 years that emotions are involved in decision-making, for example, you know. If I stopped the body of your brain that deals with emotion, yeah, if I if I put a lesion in it, yeah, to stop it, mm-hmm. you would make the same mistake over and over again, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating, you know. So some of us do that, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we, we have problems with emotions. I mean, we seem to make the same mistake over and over again, so... Mm-hmm. But I, I worked in education when I came in first, oh. uh, uh, and uh, we used to do restorative justice, you know, mm-hmm. actually putting yourself in, in the position of the person who you'd harmed or, you know, uh, in some way. Amazing, amazing thing. Um,
0: well, let's call this one. Yep. <laughs> Before I start again. What's <laughs> that? Before I start again. <laughs> well, no, the, I, it's hard to stop because, I mean, it, I, it is. I mean, I could, uh, you know, keep going, but uh, I, I don't know what I'd do in editing. I I, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, let, let's definitely come back. And, um, you know, thank you so much for making the time and doing this on uh, your Saturday evening. No, oh, it's been great. I really enjoyed it. I want to make sure people get to where you you are, which is drunken neuron on Twitter, and uh, Alcoholics Guide to Addiction to Alcoholism.
1: Yeah, uh, there's another one called Inside the Alcoholic Brain.
0: Which is the primary?
1: Um, I would say, well, that Inside the, uh, the Alcoholic Brain is generally, it's, it's more technical, it's for everybody from counselors to academics to very bright people in recovery, I guess. But uh, I'm trying to make the, alcohol, the alcoholism Similar, but uh, you know, so uh, yeah, just uh, for, at the moment, it's just trying to get out there, you know, uh, yeah. get the ideas out. That's why I really appreciate this opportunity. I've also written for um, uh, Addiction Land as well, mm-hmm. an expert on there as well. Mine's a bit yeah. of an oddity, isn't it? Really, you don't really go to a blog and see something trying yeah. <laughs> to set out a theory of addiction, but,
0: exactly.
1: But there's a place for that as well, you know, opening the debate, you know,
0: isn't all right, um. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: Yeah. You take care, Chris. Thank you.
0: Thanks again.
1: Bye-bye.